This is Life Worlds, the place where we explore life through other eyes and minds. Let's flip the script and discover how to orient your world around nature. I'm Alexa Permanish. Come join me as we get down and forage for fungi, stalk coyotes, draft laws for rivers, hum with beehives, sing bird language, and help beavers to dam again. Let these stories spark your reconnection to nature's multiverse. Learn how to bring ecosystems back to life, become an agent for other intelligences, and begin to see how you too are the sum of all life worlds. You're listening to the full episode of Multispecies Entanglements with Bee Wisdom. Buenos dias. I am speaking to you in Spanish today because I guess I'm in a very good mood. Today on Life Worlds, we're going to get down and in the thick of it, tangled up in a multi-species discourse. We're going to spend some time with the humming, buzzing, sweet, and delectable nectar of the bees. Sandira Belia and Annalika van der Sluges are beekeepers living in Portugal and the co-founders of Bee Wisdom, a platform where beekeepers and bee lovers can learn how to work synergistically with the bees. They're here to unveil the mysterious inner lives of the bee world, which they refer to as the bee deva or bee spirit. These days, it seems that most conversations around bees focus on their collapse because their populations are declining at terrifying rates and there is a very just fear around crop pollination and what will happen to our harvests when there are no more bees left to pollinate them. However, this can obscure and take us further away from the magic and mystery of the bees. Instead of questions around extinction and death, could we instead learn to ask each other, have you ever been seduced by a bee? Have you ever been seduced by the sounds and smell of the hive? Have you ever been healed by a bee? And how do beekeeping practices change when you start to see the world from the perspective and life worlds of the bees themselves? Whether it's through art, beekeeping, scientific study, or whatever else inspires you, today you can ask yourself, how am I entangled in a web of other lives? How can I deepen this relationship so that becomes a true collaboration? And have some fun with it. Without further ado, here is Sandira Belia and Annalika van der Sluges from Bee Wisdom. Sandira and Annalika, it's absolutely a pleasure to have you both on the show. You are the hearts and minds behind Bee Wisdom which is a network of bee lovers around the world who come together to share their love of bees and their work around restoring, I think, some of the dignity and natural desires of the bee kingdoms. From my understanding, you met some years ago and you're both in your own personal healing processes. And you met, you became friends, you started working with the bees together. And the journey of that has been transformational, I know, for both of you and, and probably for the bees as well. And now you're trying to change the narrative around bees in the world and how human beings can relate to these fascinating, fascinating beings. I'd like to start by asking a very broad question. Why the bees and why have they been such an important part of your lives? What's it like to work with bees? So bees have been with me uh, since infancy because uh, my mother was beekeeper, is actually still a beekeeper, even though she has very few uh, hives now. And yeah, so I was really bathing in the smell of honey, in the smoke and uh, thrive around the honey harvest, the swarm season. I would be quite comfortable to be with bees around me, knowing that when they would swarm, there was no danger. But it came much, much later in my life when I actually decided to work with bees. And very clearly for me, it was not about honey production. So it was really about a connection with the diva of the bees and their wisdom, how they can bridge people and nature, how they can teach us and support our healing. Yeah, and I was seduced by the smell and the sound of the hive. First, when bees came to a community garden where I invited a beekeeper, and the magic that the bees brought in the air, and then later when I brought Sandira 
just to be with the hive in this possibility of really having a relationship with this vibrational being and their smell melting my heart and soothing my nervous system and opening my senses and this wonder like, oh, you are such a special being. I want to get to know you better and you have so many gifts I would like to be connected with so we can join our qualities and bring beauty wherever we are. For me, that's also a beautiful quality of the bees, how they bring beauty and love to whatever they are touching. They're alchemists. And this alchemy is something that intrigues me. And I love to bring this to the worlds in which I am participating. I'm so struck by both of you sharing something that's deeply sensorial, the sounds, the smells, the tastes this vibration of being around the bees and how they bring beauty and bridge humans and nature. I love that word alchemist. We'll probably come back to that a little bit later. And Annalika, through our conversation and Sandira reading your book, I had never thought of bees in the way that you described them. Uh, firstly, as these connectors. Annalika, in our conversation, you said they're like your compass to read and understand the land and the ways that the bees move are helping you know what's out there. And then this idea, Sandir, in your book about the song, that they make songs with their wing muscles and each colony has its own songs and perfumes. And that the young maidens, I love that word maiden, learns them young. And, and so it sounds like to be a bee is to be surrounded by touch and smells and vibrations. And Sandir, in your book, you also speak about this idea of touch and I will read something from your book and I'd love for you to comment on it. You take the perspective of the bees in certain parts of your book and you say, throughout the hive, we constantly palpate and caress each other. The effects of this continual sensuous contact are comparable to those of a massage. Tactile language maintains warmth and social cohesion and spreads the pheromones of our collective body. So I'm going to pause there and let you, Sandir and then Annalika, comment on this deeply sensorial bee world and how it's experienced by human beings and maybe even by the bees themselves. Sure. There's something I'm struck with is that many people I brought to the hive are very, very sensitive to the bee touch. And just the fact to receive a bee on your finger, licking a drop of honey, can change the love. It can be life-changing. So... It's true that there are different love languages and the touch language is a very important one that has probably have been a little bit forgotten or denied in our Western culture. And the bee recall this thirst for just touch and sensuality through touch. I told this story recently when I visited Anelike last week to the, the, the two apprentices that were with us that there was once where we opened the beehive and the floor was covered with bees. We wanted to change the hive to a new body because the, the box was way too old. And during this transfer, we had this possibility to put our hand in that carpet of bees that was spread on the floor. And they were so calm, so gentle, so in trust. We had, it was the beehive we knew very well and um, she was totally in trust with our actions. We didn't need to wear a bee suit for this action. And I had at this time some um, eczema on my hands, which was very painful, like cracks. And the bees suddenly started to crawl on the parts which had these eczema patches all over my hands and to lick it. And it was an absolute moment of transformation. I could feel that they were taking out this gray energy and transmuting it into light through their touch. That was a magical moment. On your website, you have videos of when these bees swarm. And we'll speak later about why the swarm is so important and what happens when you don't allow the bees to swarm. This was something I didn't know about, but part of the group will leave the hive 
to go and create a new colony. And this is really important for their survival. And in this video, you guys are, are touching the bees and your hands are covered with bees and you're, you know, you clean your hands with um, water and, and lavender. And I feel like I would be scared, to be honest, to put my hands inside and aren't you going to be stung? And I'm not wearing protection on my face. Do bees not always stink when they touch you? And can you be surrounded by bees with, without a suit and be okay? And what is that process like? Annalika, maybe you can speak to that. Yes, you can happily be around, well, at least the type of bees that we have, the Iberian bee. I don't know, there are so many bee species. Maybe there are bee species that have a very different character. And also trust builds over time. Maybe in the beginning, it's not something you are attracted to, to be with the bees without a suit, because there are patterns of fear or maybe beliefs you have about that it is needed to wear protection that makes that you can have a more intimate relationship with the bees when you would use a suit, because you would feel comfortable and safe, and then you have space for the relationship. And there are also ways in which it is possible to approach the bees and like you would do with a human being, you are not going to stumble into somebody's house, open the door without knocking and asking permission to enter. And if you do the same with a hive and you start knowing the sounds of the hive, because it's a language that bees have between themselves that we can also learn by spending more time with the hive. So we can hear when the bees are stressed, we can hear when the bees are calm. We can also listen with our hearts and feel if there is an openness for this connection. And especially when the bees are swarming, they are so much in a birthing process that they are in a very different energy. Also, they don't have a home. They are discovering who they are so they can go to a home. So also in terms of defense, what would there be to defend when they are in this process of deep, I would say, meditation to find home? So it's a very particular moment in which we have the privilege to be with a colony that is outside the hive, that is in a birthing process, and we can be with them, we can feel their warmth. They have our body temperature. And when we come close with our hands, we can feel the vibration. And then even when we have such merge of our energies with the energy field of the bees, we then can feel if we are allowed to go with our hand in the swarm. And maybe this is the moment, one of the moments that I have been most touched by being in touch with the bees, because suddenly I was feeling the cohesion, the strength of this very vulnerable cluster of very small insects that are hanging together with their legs and their wings and their bodies. And there is such a coherence and such a soft strength in their holding and their being together. It's something that is a kind of an imprint in me since I have been in touch with them in that way. And it also raises questions like, oh, how can I be with that energy in my connection with what surrounds me and my intimate circle, my wider circle? How does that look like, this cohesion and this totally appropriate knowing of the strength and the warmth and all the different qualities of that relationship? And in the swarm, that's really happening. And to have the trust, both of you, to put your hands inside of this whole other life form. I mean, Sandira, your story of your hand with the eczema and how they not only accepted the hand there and didn't get concerned, but actually started to heal you with their own gifts, because obviously that's a precious resource for them, their energy and whatever they may have been licking you with. And that idea of the bee touch and that soft strength, that form of interspecies touch, I think is so rare 
in our days. We maybe have a pet that we're close to, but to come into contact with swarming, buzzing masses of insects that have obviously stung us at points in our lives and to have trust in that process feels like it must be very healing in terms of our fear of nature and our fear of coming close to another form of life. And Sandira, you mentioned that you worked with apprentices. So is this something that you see happens often with people who have never worked with bees before and then they come into contact with the beekeeper and they start to work with beekeepers like yourselves and because there's all sorts of beekeepers, right? Just like there's all sorts of bees. But let's say beekeepers like yourselves who are sensitive to, to bee lives. And have you seen apprentices change by these relationships with the beauty and, and of the bees in the hive? I think there's a belief system to really radically change about bees being constantly busy. That's one of the main beliefs, that they are constantly like buzzing, buzzing the whole time and making honey. And the second one is, yeah, that they are uh, stinging insects and dangerous. The first part, uh, I would say, obviously the, the making honey part is the part that is connected, that have been connected to beekeeping and of what we know about the relationship between human and bees that have been a bit reduced to that part, which is actually only a small part of the work that the bees are doing on Earth. And when they are given the space to do it, they have much more important roles that we might uh, come back on to uh, later. And the second part is about the sting. So the bees, contrary to, to wasps, for example, are not stinging aggressively. They never sting in order to eat, for example, to forage. They only eat the nectar of and the pollen of flowers. When the wasp will use their venom to kill insects, for example, or animals, and then to eat from meat. So it's a very different energy. The bee, when she stings, most of the time she will lose her stinger and then she will die. So she's not giving this life so lightly. And she will mainly use it either as a defensive mechanism. So if we come too fast, in their aura, like Annelika was saying, without knocking at the door. So the door of the beehive is actually several meters away from the body of the hive itself. Like us, the hive has an aura, and it's really important if we want to create that level of intimacy and of friendship and of trust with a beehive, is to feel where are these aura layers, and before stepping in, to really stop for a moment, connect with the hive, with your intention or your womb, whatever feels right for you, and to ask for permission, for the blessing to come in to, and to feel. And they might say, actually, no, we don't want. Some colonies are less sociable and some are very curious and actually very happy to have visitors. So I was saying the venom can be a defensive use. And further on, what we discovered is it can also have other roles, for example, the healing role. So I was living in a community called Tamira in the south of Portugal, and I co-created a bee garden over there. And in this garden full of aromatics and herbs, and some beehives, I would usually bring some students or some guests. And one day there was a guest uh, working with me, just weeding the thyme flowers. And the bees were extremely calm. There was no sign of aggressivity. We had entered with knocking at the door, and I had explained everything to the guest. And then she was suddenly talking to me about a pain that she had in her left shoulder since a few days. And then at this moment... A bee came and slowly landed on her shoulder and stung her at this spot. So you can see here, it was not at all a defensive sting, but it was a healing sting. And it was actually a gift from the beehive to that person. And as this person had heard, I had explained how to relate peacefully if she got stung. So she just went down to the ground, touched the earth and breathed and decided to really receive the medicine of the venom. And the day after she told me her pain was gone, she was totally amazingly surprised that 
it was a beautiful healing gift. That bee gave its life to actually heal her shoulder. That's a beautiful sacrifice I don't think many human beings would do. And the wisdom of the bee to even alight on her shoulder in the first place is very touching. If I just can add something for it to be very clear, the bee is not an individual. It's a cell. The individual is the colony. So it's not like a whole being is dying. It's a cell of an organism. And it's important to relate to that when she's offering her life force through this one bee, she's actually sacrificing a part of herself. That's such an important lesson that the bees bring. It's that you are a cell in an organism. And not just bees, but hopefully human beings and other animals as well. Um, and another thing I, I appreciate from your book, Sandera, was that you shared a maybe more scientific fact that I didn't know, but a really interesting one, that the bee produces formic acid as part of its venom. And so when it flies from flower to flower, it scatters this acid um, around the landscape and makes it available to nature. And this is an acid that prevents the soil from rotting or becoming desertified and revitalizes plants. And so you know, this, uh, this pollination, quote unquote, that the bees are doing as they go around the landscape. They're not just collecting and pollinating, but they're also cleaning and disinfecting and kind of maintaining the whole landscape. The bee is kind of also gardening this wider radius around the hive. I would say it's even much more than cleaning. Every interaction of the bees is a whole array of giving and receiving. When a bee kisses a flower, it's an act of love. There are so many functions in every movement and in every interaction that is happening between the bee and the flower and the soil and all the different uh, relationships that the bees have with the landscape. So speaking for me personally, there is also this fascination of being brought into the landscape through the perspective of the bees. And by spending time with the bees, seeing all those micro relationships that bring the life force in the landscape. And for me, this is also an inspiration for acknowledging more of all the subtle, small energies that shape our lives and also acknowledging the value of all those different energies that together bring this rich whole that we know. Especially with the bees, the quality of their relationship is inspiring. It doesn't matter if a bee is in a degenerated landscape or in a very lush landscape, there's always this touch that brings magic and that brings healing and beauty to wherever the bee is going. I'm intrigued by how we can be with certain species and use them as a window into understanding the world because so much of our society, is, as we know, is very distanced from the living world. And so to tell someone, okay, this is an entire ecosystem, these are all the relationships, it can be very overwhelming and maybe too much. And so to have, you know, like the salmon or like the bees, like certain keystone beautiful creatures who help to show us their doorways into understanding a landscape, I think that those are really important teachers at this moment in time in terms of what's happening with our world's ecologies and the climate and all these kinds of things. It's these doorways in and through the bee, we can understand this larger landscape and all these relationships, and we can follow the bee. And it makes something so massive and so overwhelming actually beautiful and simple and poetic. Uh, and, and this is why I've been really excited to speak with you guys, because I think there's a very particular um, wisdom that comes from working with bees and, and being around them to understand these much larger narratives. It's also attractive that it makes it very relaxing because the task is to spend time with the hive and follow curiosity. So it's not like wanting to understand all the different relationships and all holding it together in your head. It's really like every time I go to a hive or I'm making a tour, 
there are so many different wonders that are happening along the way. And if I give myself the time to be with those wonders and to follow the little golden threads that go out of the hive, I learn many things and I'm touched in many ways that shape the way I can be in the world. Sandera, can you speak to those multiple things that are happening? You said before, you know, bees are not always constantly busy and also they're not always making honey. So what else are they doing? Yes, well, to add to what Annalika was sharing about maintaining the, the networks of the earth, I like to speak of the earth, Gaia, as a living being. Well, we are all part of. And she has some cloth around her that maintain her coherent and warm and alive. Those cloths, they are like pathways for energy to circulate all around the earth. And those cloths, they need to be pumped, a bit like our heart will pump our blood all over the veins and arteries of our bodies. It will be the same with the earth. And somehow the insects realm, especially, is acting in pumping this energy through these networks. I like to call it revitalization of the ethers. And sometimes these cloths are torn out. They can be damaged by different actions. For example, human actions like wars or like machines digging in the earth or things that will affect this mantle, this coat of the earth. And these holes can be repaired like little sores. I can imagine the bees with their little golden threads repairing these holes. Unfortunately, sometimes these holes become really, really big. And then in these areas, it's very hard for the bees to survive if they're too far from the source of this energy. And another thing that the bees do, bees do it in different ways. They do it while kissing the flowers somehow. They kiss the flowers to collect the nectar and the pollen, obviously, but also to create those pathways of energy. And they also do it in the hive, in the hive with their song and with some different movements and even some, we can see sometimes bees in meditation in the cells. They're just not moving, they're sleeping and even maybe dreaming. And they're also doing important work when they are not actively doing, they are being. And this can only be when these beehives are thriving. They have enough honey to maintain themselves and then they can actively fulfill these roles. Unfortunately, when they are under honey production pressure, they have constantly human beings taking off a part of their resources and putting back some empty boxes that trigger their instinct of filling up, then they will prioritize filling up these boxes and, of course, not be able to, to do the other jobs. That's something we're usually not aware of. I was really moved um, and saddened when I came across your work and then some links that you have a great resource page on your website that I'll put in the show notes to some other websites of your friends. But... um how we work the bees in the same way that is um, in parallel to livestock farming and also how we overwork human beings, by the way, this idea of you can't rest, you constantly have to produce, there's always more to fill, keep going, keep running on the sort of hedonic treadmill, just don't stop. And we do that to bees because we just ask them to keep making honey for us. And when they make honey for us, they're not necessarily feeding themselves or making their propolis, or I don't even know what, you know, all these other functions that you're saying because they're producing for us and we have them hooked up in these beehives like livestock. And so I'd never thought of like the animal justice aspect of bees. And I want to talk about it now in our conversation because I think it's really critical. This idea that beekeeping has now been designed to suit the beekeeper and maybe human society and not the bees themselves. And you guys have written that the environments we make for bees have nothing to do with natural bee behavior. Everything became adapted to suit the beekeeper and not the bees. So there's these kinds of bad practices that we have in place 
that aren't ethically aligned with how the animal would want to live or the, the, the insect, the creature, the bedeva, and this intensive farming. So maybe you can touch on some of those. I've noted down the, the shape of the hives and how the hives are actually structured. This idea of rearing artificial bees and queens, packaging bees. Um, maybe we can touch on some of those because I think it's something that people should know about. Well, where to start? I would like to start with something that might not be so obvious, and it connects very much to what we have been speaking about already, the bee as a vibrational being. The information carrier in the beehive is the wax. And when the bees are able to build their own comb, it's very thin and very sensitive, so it can really transmit the vibrations through the whole space. And the bees will also be able to adapt their house to the um, electromagnetic grid that they are feeling in the place where they are, all the air movements. So they can make a completely optimized home in terms of acoustics, in terms of transmission of vibrations, in terms of uh, energy. And when bees are in the production hives, they are on frames that are straight lines that don't necessarily correspond with the energy lines, direction of the energy lines in that specific place. And they are also thick because we cannot make those thin combs that the bees would make. So that's their start. And I would say it's like uh, having a, an intimate conversation and then putting a wall in between the two people who have an intimate conversation. We can obviously name other practices that are not ethically aligned with natural laws. One of them is sugar feeding. So many people actually eat honey. They think they do good. It's good for health. It's like it says, it's better than sugar. But actually many people don't realize that many beekeepers, when they take honey from the bees, they feed the bees in change with sugar, white sugar. And white sugar has similar effects on bees than on human beings. It triggers dependency, addiction, and also aggressivity. Bees become more and more like frantic and want like a changed frequency. So that's one thing that I like to recommend people if they want to buy honey to really check to buy local honey and to speak with the beekeeper about their practices. I'm not against honey protection. I think that when one is thriving, like us, when we're thriving, we're able to give. We live in an abandoned world and the bees are teachers of abundance and giving. So I believe it's possible to receive honey as a gift when they are really thriving. But these yields will be usually very different than the ones that actually are in place um, in conventional beekeeping. I mean, the lesson there is let the living world have what it needs to keep being generative. And then let's in this kind of honorable harvest idea, let, let's then be allowed to have what, what's left over for us, but don't keep making the animals work for us. And also this, this idea that you shared about um, how they artificially inseminate queens and the queen rearing and the, the queen, obviously, the queen of the colony. And we dampen their wild and natural intelligence when we start making these artificial bees. So I know this about other creatures like salmon and so on and so forth, but that these managed hives with artificial queens are not that healthy and they're actually a lot more fragile. Could you speak a little bit to that? Because that seems like something that we should be concerned about, that these ecosystem connectors and are not actually being reared in a way that is healthy for an ecosystem. I can answer mainly from a gut answer. I've never been connected to queen rivers in detail. And so the fact is these queens that are artificially created I couldn't go in details here, but they're actually emergency queens. So they're not created originally with the purpose to become queens. But in the hive system, they can change the destiny somehow of an egg. 
from being a maiden or a queen, depending on how she will be fed uh, when she's a larvae. And they are created under pressure. So to create artificial queens, you have to pretend that the queen has died, so that the maiden has gone to create suddenly lots of new queens in order to replace the actual one. So all this is fake from the beginning. So it's like all based on a lie. And so that's one part. And obviously, queen rewards will say, yes, we will select traits that will maybe support the development of behaviors that will support the bees to face certain diseases, for example. And if we look at this closer, it will also interfere with laws of nature where, where local bees, races, will have co-evolved with their environment for centuries, millennia. And suddenly we will import bees that have been created, selected, and think that they are going to save the bees. I think that's very arrogant. I'm sorry for the term, but it feels just not not respectful. On that point of the arrogance I shared with you guys before this conversation, this startup that I was reading about that does automatic precision robotics for beehives, it seemed very apocalyptic. No, it's called the Bee Home. And it, I'm just quoting from, from their website. I'm sorry if they're listening to this, but it's strange. This automatic bee home detects the threats to the colony like pesticides or pets and defends against them as if the bees can't defend and then this part is so sad. It says it requires no human intervention. And I feel like that's so far from where we need to go at this moment in time of let's distance human beings further from these deeply nourishing connections that you guys have shared. No, that's not, we don't need even humans to intervene anymore. It's just an automated system with automatic bees going and pollinating our crops. And that this bee home does its own climate and humidity control. So that means that the bees over millennia don't know how to do their own, as you said, Annalika, they're suited to these environments they're in and the particular geoclimatic conditions. But no, the beehive will do the climate and humidity control for the bees. I mean, for you guys to read something like that, isn't that just probably incredibly bizarre because you know how intelligent the bees are. And all of a sudden, we claim to be doing them a favor by doing all of this for them. Well, it's also bizarre because there is a whole world behind it of, for example, moving the bees from crop to crop because there are so many monocultures that need to be pollinated and the bees can't live there because there's nothing to feed them in the time that the crop is not flowering. And that's why the boxes need to be light because they need to be transported. So there are so many things that are a kind of a co-evolution of being on a track of taking the bees out of their most suitable environment and supporting the conditions that make that the ecosystem can take care of itself and that there is abundance to share with everybody, even with human beings, and we can be part of that. And so if we start going further and further on those tracks of, ah, this is happening with the bees, we need to save the bees and we put it in our human way of, okay, this is happening, so we will have a fix here and a fix there and a fix there and a fix there. And there is a moment that we don't know anymore how the bees are when they are in a natural environment. I think that many things that I discovered over the last years show me, oh, but if the bee would be in a tree, the bee would behave very different. So how can I learn about that? And how can I step by step, by being more intimate with the bees, learn about what is the bee? Who is the bee? And who is the colony? And what is the relationship between the bee and the landscape, the bee and the human? So it's a very different track. Sandra, I don't know if you wanted to comment on that. Otherwise, I'll, I'll jump to another question about swarming. Because that's another instance where we interrupt. That's very important to include. Because one of the things in commercial beekeeping is that swarming is not uh, very welcome because it means the loss of production. A colony that swarms will need uh, time and energy to build up the colony, the new colony, or 
to build up and to be able to produce honey. So what beekeepers do in a production scheme is that they are splitting colonies or that they are preventing swarming by giving the bees more space so they can grow bigger in their own environment. And so then this whole process we have been touching a little bit in the beginning of renewal and refreshment is not happening. And when we take out this possibility of natural renewal and refreshment and adaptation and bringing in new strands of genes, because there is also the whole process of the princesses going and mating with drones of many different colonies. And what else is happening in this process? The only time in the life of a queen where she is bathing in the light of the sun, especially when I look at bees and their energetic function, there's something very essential in swarming that belongs to the strength of the bee and her capacity to fully be her role and her being in the landscape and in the creation of earth. I would like to hear you about this also, Sandira. Yeah, there's such a magic in swarming. The days before the swarm takes off are full of joy. You can feel the energy in the hives. They're like, yeah, they get prepared. Even the, the queen is put on a diet so that she's going to be more able to fly. <laughs> and uh, there's a joy. And I had the chance once to be there at the moment of takeoff. So the mother colony was casting her daughter. And I just stayed there. I lay down on the ground looking at the sky. And the swarm stayed for some minutes above the mother hive. And I could see the patterns that would be drawn by the older um, bees on the skies. Like never would two bees bump into each other. It's like a real collective intelligence, like murmurations of starlings. They would all move with this intelligence that guide them and create magical geometrical patterns in the sky and then all of a sudden bloop, they will all leave and follow a direction that would be led by some scouts and fly like a winged serpent in the sky before landing on a bush or a tree for a temporary stay until they find their a new home. It seems so cruel to prevent that process from happening. Yeah, it's, it feels that it's very important reviving of the colony to be able to have that joy. So when it's done artificially, you, yeah, you sort of cut off this moment. There are beautiful ways to still let the bees swarming naturally and still be there with like empty boxes, what we call welcoming hives that we'll, we'll have prepared with nice scent, choosing very precisely the location regarding to the cosmotelluric networks, as Annelika was sharing before. And then we will increase the chance to have the swarm landing into the place that we have prepared, or we will find them on the tree and then collect them and bring them in beehives that we would for example, have made ourselves or prepared inside the cavities of trees. You have a video of that on your website, and it's so touching how you're so, you know, all these humans are coming and enabling these bees to, to move and find a new home. And it's deeply touching to participate in the ongoing evolution of another species. And something that I that I wanted to ask you guys is, for people who are listening and who might be moved by this conversation, what can they do for the bees? Like, how can they get involved in something like this? How can they be more responsible in terms of knowing where their honey or their beeswax candles come from? I mean, where do people start? Well, I, I think it really depends where those people are. If it's possible to have a direct relationship with bees or not. If it is, I would say that would be the first thing. Be with bees. and then the curiosity comes and then there is also more of a relationship. So, you know, a bit so, hey, what are the bees doing? Oh, I never thought about that. 
So they have to make so many flights to bring in this amount of nectar and then it's only honey and then they still need to make wax of that. So, whoa, that's a lot of flights. So, ah, maybe beeswax candles are not to burn every day. Maybe they're for very special occasions. And the other thing is like, oh, so if bees have a very diverse landscape around them, they can just be in their hives and they don't have to be moved around the country. Huh, where does my food come from? If I don't grow it myself, how can I influence this possibility for bees to be healthy by the choices of my food? And there are so many things. It's also with, like, for example, our equipment. Bees are very sensitive to radiation. So if we are close to a hive, maybe we can switch off our phone and maybe we can have overall more awareness about when we use our equipment and when not. It's a big pollution, and especially for more sensitive creatures like insects and birds, something is happening that is also influencing their navigation system. So in many different realms of our human world, we have a connection with bees and other species. And how can we use this space that we have in common in a way that is mutually supportive? And that is something where the bees are a huge inspiration for me because they show it in everything they do. Yes. I would add as well something about this expression, we have to save the bees, because uh, this is so anthropomorphic. So it really comes from a sense of guilt. It's very loaded with loads of emotion. And somehow in my conversations with the bee diva, she really taught me to take much more distance. Like bee, the diva of the bees would not say, you have to save us right? She would say, you have to save yourself first. <laughs> like, just stop projecting on something else to avoid looking at yourself. It's all about connecting to your own essence. And more and more, it will come naturally those behaviors that are aligned with the laws of nature. And of course, we can support the bees with planting trees, with enhancing environments that are pre-friendly and be aware about our consumption habits. And I would say, the bees are not angry about human, yeah? So that's a very important thing. They're not saying, oh, these terrible humans, they have done so many things, now they have to be punished. So really, they are actually curious and trustful towards human. And I think that's one of the magic of the big gift that the bees offer. It's one of trust, even though it's can be difficult at these times to face quite a lot of bee death and as well to really see the bees have a very different relationship to death than humans have because they can come and go and weave in between the realms of life and death with much more ease than we do. So yeah, I love to, to take a deep breath and to really feel in my guts what does it mean to be yeah, to be hand in hand in co-creating this planetary garden that we want to aim for. I would also offer another question to everybody who is interested, which is how can the bees support us? That we really bring this reciprocity in our relationship and that we can see each other as co-creators, as Sandira just said so beautifully. And it takes us out of a savior mentality and into a co-creation partnership. That part is so critical because actions can come out of desperation and fear and, as you said, a savior mentality. And when you're in that mode of being, you're not as able physically to really connect with the world around you because you're sort of clenched and nervous. And so this um, invitation that you guys are offering to connect with the bees out of curiosity and endearment and 
fascination, right? Like this is something I would do whether or not some colonies are collapsing and whether or not the world is how it is. This is still an action I would love to be doing no matter what. So I really, really appreciate that reframing because we hear so much about be, you know, mass extinction and all these kinds of things. Uh, before we wrap, Sandra, I don't know if you wanted to read something from your book. I know in the beginning of the conversation, you thought of maybe bringing it in or I will point people to it in the show notes. But if there was anything in particular you feel called cool to end our conversation with from your book, please go ahead. Okay. I open an Oracle page. <laughs> it's from the chapter, The Forager's Palette. So it's about bees and flowers, and it's the voice of the bee, the bee Devi speaking. Bees and flowers love each other immeasurably. For millennia, they have woven a relationship of trust and cooperation which goes far beyond the simple practical function of pollination. When a foraging bee lands on a flower, she says to it, I see you, I know you, I thank you for living. This gratitude is genuine nourishment for the etheric body of the planet. Gaia's vibratory structure is composed of a unified complex of energetic networks. These interlaced webs structure and maintain the Earth in a coherent unity. They may be compared to layers of finely woven garments which cloth and protect our planet. All the networks are interconnected and constitute a terrestrial internet through which billions of pieces of information permanently circulate. By flying from flower to flower, the bees stimulate the energetic flow which circulates through the network. Foraging bees cover thousands of kilometers through the air. Their translucent wings behave like prisms which refract the light of the sun. Their movements are stamped into the ethers and leave behind a luminous vibratory imprint which endures some time before dissipating. During their journeys and explorations, they are permanently linked to their hive being by a sort of umbilical cord. This powerful and elastic link helps them to find the path back to their mother, like Ariadne's thread in the labyrinth. You are, with every word, both of you making me fall in love with bees more and more, and I cannot believe I haven't spent time with them yet. Thank you for that incredibly poetic expression of the bees, Sandra. What a wonderful way to end the conversation. I thank you both so much for your time and for coming on the show. It really, really means a lot. And for those listening, there will be links to Sandra and Annalika's work and bee wisdom and ways that you can participate. So thank you both so very much. Thank you. Thank you, Alexa. Gosh, all I wanted to do when I finished recording that episode was to go bury myself under a beehive and sense their vibrations pulsing through my skin. I would love to be a bee for a day. It sounds pretty delightful to be part of that hive community. So for now, that is it from Annalike and Sandira from Bee Wisdom. I would love to hear from you. So please do reach out to me on the website lifeworld.earth where you can also find all of the show notes and an open source library that ranges on everything from ecology to technology and life at large. Subscribe to our email list and I'll see you back here soon. Bye.